Happy Sunday, church. We don't really have a thing for that. We're not like the Anglicans. <laughs> I was saved in an Anglican church, so I say, okay, I can make joke, jokes of my own. Um, I, uh, I'm going to pray for us, and let's talk about this glorious day that the Lord has given us. Lord, we surrender our hearts before you. Uh, Holy Spirit, move in this place powerfully. Lord, awaken hearts. Rekindle what feels like just embers right now into a roaring flame of faith. Lord, that you might do something extraordinary in our midst. Amen. I... um. Just got back from a couple of days up at the Hunter Valley. I'm not trying to be braggadocious, but it was nice to get away. Um, and I feel you just got to sample the first wine that they serve you. It's like a pre-barrel, terrible thing. You know, it's a grape juice and they try and palm it off as being something extraordinary. But what happened today is the most extraordinary thing in history, available to everybody. And one of my favorite stories comes from John 20. And um, Anne alluded to this a little bit. It says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. And he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that was around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, went inside. He saw and believed. I, I love this story. It's the great foot race. This is, of course, from John. And the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, is John. It feels, it feels braggadocious, but there is power in the testimony that comes through this great foot race. Mary Magdalene won it, if you didn't figure that out. <laughs> she was up first. She got to the tomb. She saw what was going on, but she misinterpreted the situation, right? She goes back and reports it to Simon Peter and to, to the one that Jesus loved, the faster disciple, the one who could easily outrun Peter in a foot race, demonstrated in Scripture for all of time, says, they've taken him. And I don't know where they've taken him to. And so this foot race breaks out as a result of this statement. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We do not know where they have put him. And so they make forth to the tomb. You imagine this moment. Deuteronomy 31 says, The Lord shall never forsake us or leave us. 
and Friday's event leads to Saturday's disappointment. That feeling of being forsaken and left. A confusion. This is our Messiah, our salvation. And he is dead and he is buried. Could you imagine the sadness of Saturday? And waking up to Mary, Mary Magdalene, who has been by Jesus' side. A woman of good means. A woman who has been by Jesus' side. A counted as a follower of Jesus. Mark 16.9, we know that Jesus worked powerfully in Mary Magdalene's life to bring about healing, to bring about deliverance. Says they have taken him from the tomb and we do not know where they have put him. Saturday's disappointment has been met by further humiliation. The tomb has been robbed. So, Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loves, <clears throat> commence this foot race and they run to the tomb. John outruns Peter and he gets there first and he stops and he can see the linen inside. Why does he stop at the tomb? Well, he becomes unclean if he enters a place where there's a dead body, right? This is well known in, in, a, in a Jewish tradition. You did, touching a dead body, that's unclean. Now you've got to go through a ceremonial purification schedule. If you're already disappointed about Saturday and now you feel humiliated about Sunday, the last thing you want to do is go on a journey of ritualistic cleaning to make yourself clean again it's just going to add to the headache. So he pauses and he sees the linen and he believes. Not that he has been taken, but that he's risen. Peter, though, impetuously runs right on into the tomb. Does not even care. I'm getting unclean for this. We're figuring this out. This is the same man that at the last supper, as Jesus washes the feet of the disciples, gets to Peter and he says, I'll have a shower, Lord. This is the same man who says to Jesus in 1337 of John, he's willing to lay down his life for Jesus. He's the same man from chapter 19 who then denies Jesus three times. He's the same man in the face of an arresting band, cuts the ear off Malchus in chapter 18. The same man who in that very same chapter when a little servant girl says, hey, aren't you one of their followers? Backs down immediately and denies him. The same man who, when he sees Jesus upon the water, 
climbs out of the boat to run to him. He's a man who functions at polar opposites, right? Profound acts of faith and profound acts sometimes of cowardice. But Jesus chose him to be one of the disciples. Jesus chose him to be at his side. Jesus chose him to be his first witness and Jesus chose him to be the rock by which he builds his church, right? Simon Peter and John and the disciples preach the good news of Jesus risen so that the world may know despite his faults. He is picked as one of the disciples to go forth and multiply the church. And so Peter ventures into the tomb and he sees the burial wrappings. He sees the burial cloth which is folded up by itself, separate from the linen. And he knows. He knows that Jesus is no longer there, but he is risen. You know, the fascinating thing about this story is that as you read through scriptures, there's not a whole bunch of uh, energy poured into um, the significance of the resurrection of Jesus because for the earliest believers, they encountered Jesus. This uh, chapter goes on. And then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside of the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they were asking her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I do not know where they have put him. She hasn't figured it out yet. John gets there, old swift foot John, and goes, well, he's risen. Peter goes inside, willing to chance being ceremonially unclean, and says, linen cloth's folded up. He's not here. He's risen. Mary Magdalene, weeping at the doors of the tomb. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking that he was a gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, you better tell me. You better tell me where you have put him, and I will go get him myself. And Jesus said to her, Mary, Mary, I know that. I've heard that before. That's my teacher who says me that. Calls me that. She turned to him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. It's a powerful moment. Yeah, I think it's fascinating. Um, chapter 11, we hear the story of Lazarus. 
Lazarus comes out in his grave clothes, right? Jesus leaves them there because he has been transformed. Mary doesn't recognize him as first. I've got to imagine you encounter the transformed Jesus and your first impression is this must be a gardener, is the gardening outfits on site at that particular like cemetery must be exquisite. Those guys are really well dressed, right? It takes her a moment. She hears Mary and she realizes who it is. You see, Easter is a season for renewal and hope. It's a season where dead things are made new. And one of the things that I want to encourage us to do is to make space for the things in your life that you were getting ready to bury. That maybe God can breathe new into them today. Because Saturday's disappointment is Sunday's empty tomb. Keeler and I have a song that we like. It's got that lyric. The very thing that you thought was dead and gone, God breathed life into it. But what it requires is for us to make space for the very thing that makes us new, which is Jesus. You see, the art of learning requires sacrifice. It requires a willingness to say, I don't know, I don't understand, but I'm willing to learn, right? For us to make space for Jesus requires us to carve out some time to acknowledge that we are broken and Jesus can make us new. To be aware of the things that cause us pain and know that Jesus can make us new. To declare the things that bring us sadness and depression and anxiety and know that Jesus can make it new. Think of Simon Peter, who says at the supper, I'm not going to deny you, and then immediately denies Jesus three times. And then the crow cries, Jesus and Simon lock eyes. And he knows he's left down his teacher. And then he dies on a cross. Where's the chance for reconciliation? Where's the chance to ask for forgiveness? Where's the chance to say to Jesus, what I, what I did was wrong, but please, brother, forgive me. And they lay him in the tomb and Peter, all Saturday, is uh, he's unreconciled. 
And there's an uncomfortability to Peter's life knowing that the last moments weren't a man who stepped onto the ocean to be with Jesus, but a man who backed down from a slave girl. How can I ever make it up to my king? But then Sunday comes and you have an encounter with your beloved teacher, rabbi. And Simon Peter changes forever, right? No longer a man of polar opposites of cowardice and courage. Because he has met the risen Jesus. He is courageous. He is bold. And he is declaring the truth of God. It's the same possibility that's put out for us today. To say that Jesus is the good news who, the, who can make us new. A faith in uh, risen Christ brings about hope. It brings about healing. And his death and resurrection makes us new. That emotion of witnessing a painful and humiliating death on Friday that brings about profound life on a Sunday. One filled with the fullness of God that he intended. A restored relationship found in Christ. And so, what I want to encourage you to do is to make space for the possibility of redemption, of renewal that comes through Jesus. Not a dead God, but a living and active God, bringing about transformation, the same transformation that was witnessed by John, that was witnessed by Peter, that was experienced by Mary. Right? Because you've got the three different responses to faith, right? John outruns Peter, first of all, better cardio, gets to the tomb, sees the linen cloths, puts it all together. I believe. Mary goes to the tomb before everyone goes, something's up, they've robbed the body, goes away, still standing there while the rest of the crew has figured it all out weeping and crying, saying to the gardener, you better get it back in here. And then encounters Jesus in a real way and is transformed forever, right? Takes a little longer to get it. Simon Peter, who has been unreconciled, who is hurt, who needs to make amends, runs into the tomb. And sees it all folded up nice and neat and says, ah, he's risen. And that's kind of our encounters, right? <laughs> Some of us just kind of get it. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Jesus is king. I'm in, right? 
Some of us go, oh, <laughs> have you met me, Lord? Sometimes I can be a clown and sometimes I can be very helpful. There's no in-between, though. And you figure it out and Jesus is king. Some of us need to witness him face to face. And Mary stands as a testimony for that person to say, she went on that journey, she's been there. And the reason we don't talk about the resurrected Jesus so much in the New Testament is because all the new believers were able to see a resurrected Jesus. And so she stands as a testimony for that person. Which means that that invitation for the possibility of transformation and a life made new in Jesus is available to everyone. It's no surprise that I prefer Peter, uh, Simon Peter to the rest of the disciples in the New Testament. Because of his colossal wins and colossal failures. I feel an affinity for him. But some of you might feel the affinity for John, or some of you might feel the affinity for Mary. But each one of those is made new because they were willing to open their heart to the possibility that Christ is risen today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, <laughs> we declare your goodness today. That through your death and your resurrection on a Sunday, that we might find transformation, that we might be made new and new, Lord, that we might declare your goodness and your glory. Lord, that we might find hope, that we might find healing, that we might find purpose, and that we might find fulfillment in you. Amen.